I'm sure you've heard the story about the three balloons, mummy, daddy and baby balloon. Over the years, baby balloon had slept in the same bed as mummy and daddy balloon. And daddy balloon takes baby balloon aside one day and tells him that he's made him a new bed and that he's to sleep in that bed from now on. That night, Baby Balloon is awakened by a nasty nightmare. So he decides to get into bed with Daddy and Mummy Balloon. Alas, there isn't enough room for all three. So Baby Balloon, being very clever, unties the knot at the top of Daddy Balloon's head and releases some air. But there still isn't enough room in the bed for all three. So Baby Balloon unties the knot at the top of Mummy Balloon and releases some air from there too. But still there's not enough room. So Baby Balloon sighs and then undoes the knot at the top of his own head. And at last he can sit fit into the bed. But the next morning, Daddy Balloon pulls Baby Balloon aside and says, Listen son, I told you to sleep in your own bed, didn't I? Yes, Daddy, I'm sorry, says Baby Balloon. Well, son, says Daddy Balloon, you've let me down, you let your mother down, but most of all, you've let yourself down. (laughs) Well, even, excuse the pun, St. Peter let his Lord down at times. And no doubt he failed him on numerous other occasions too. But Peter wasn't left deflated. Jesus reinstates him afterwards and has a challenge. Three times he asked Peter if he loved him. And Peter says, you know that I love you. And love is the qualification for Christian service. Remember the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Do you love me? And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. Feed my sheep. And Jesus reinstates Peter and then he calls him to discipleship. Follow me, being very real about what that will mean. He never promised that it would be easy, but he encouraged Peter to respond to his love. And I thank God that he doesn't wait for us to become perfect before he can use us as individuals or the church. He offers his love his life, his promises as a free gift of grace. All we have to do is respond to that love with gratitude and thanksgiving to follow Jesus and his disciplines of life, to use our gifts to serve and care in his name, to seek his kingdom of love and justice and peace. So whoever we are, whatever our past, Jesus calls us to share in God's mission together. But if we're to fulfill that calling, we need to urge each other on so that we can grow to be effective disciples. We're going to sing another Wesley hymn later, and it's got this line, he bids us build each other up. This world can be such a negative place. Just think of the character assassination that we see in the media time and time again. And why are we so cynical and sarcastic in the UK? Why do we let critical spirits invade our personal relationships? 
gossip, selfishness, unrealistic expectations. All the opposite to an enabling spirit of encouragement. Acts 11 verse 23, when Barnabas arrived in Antioch and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. The Bible tells us that Barnabas was held in esteem by people. His sheer goodness was conspicuous in his ministry. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He was an apostle, one sent by God. His real name was Joseph. He was a Jewish Cypriot who lived in Jerusalem. Barnabas was actually his nickname, probably given to him by the apostles. It means son of exhortation or son of encouragement or son of paraclesis, one who comes alongside. Remember the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter, the counselor? And in Acts 11.24, Barnabas is described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. First read of Barnabas in Acts 4 He sold a field that he owned and he brought the money at the disciples' feet so that it could be distributed to those in need to encourage them. And I'm sure the disciples were delighted with Barnabas' generosity. He was a warm-hearted guy. This goodness was a fruit of being full of the Holy Spirit. For it's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that brings forth fruit as we're gradually transformed by God's grace and power. The Spirit dwelt within him and goodness was seen. Let's look at a couple of times in the Bible uh, when the well-respected Barnabas demonstrated this warm-hearted spiritual insight. Barnabas introduced Paul to the apostles After his conversion on the Damascus Road, Paul was taken by Barnabas to the apostles. Barnabas became Paul's representative, and he made the introduction possible. Christians, however, were really suspicious of Saul, of Tarsus. After all, if you remember, he'd been a persecutor. They wondered if he could be a spy. Can a leopard really change his spots? How often have we come across that even in the church? We believe that people can be transformed by the grace of God. But, you know, these dramatic conversions, have they really changed who they are? You know so-and-so. You know their track record. Can the grace of God really change them? We better watch them. And Barnabas trusted the transforming power of the gospel. He had to convince the apostles that Paul was sincere now, that he really had been converted. And Barnabas came alongside Paul. He vouched for him. And he obviously did a good job because we read that Paul moves freely in Jerusalem until Paul has an argument with some Grecian Jews and he had to flee for his life to Tarsus. But Barnabas set him on his ministry He encouraged the apostles to accept Paul and to embrace him into their fellowship. That's the first thing. The second thing is Barnabas represented the apostles in Antioch. 
Our epistle lesson tells how the apostles sent Barnabas out, stationed, if you like, to the growing Christian center at Antioch. And it appears to be the church's policy uh, in Jerusalem to send someone to check on new ministries as they arose, to keep an eye on them, if you like. And Barnabas's ministry is fruitful. A great number of people in Antioch were brought to the Lord while he was there, and it was very exciting. He represented the apostles and believed evangelism among the Gentiles, those who weren't Jews, was an act of God's divine grace. So rather than demanding legalistic things upon the new converts, we read in Acts 11, 23, when Barnabas arrived in Antioch and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Barnabas lifted the mood of the people. He urged them on. He encouraged them. What's more, Barnabas thought this work would be perfect for Paul. So he fetched Paul from Tarsus. Remember he'd gone to Tarsus? Encouraging him to share in this ministry. Just think how important that turned out to be. Paul hadn't been mentioned for about nine years or so in the Acts of the Apostles. Not since he'd fled Jerusalem. We presume he'd been witnessing to God at home. But now Barnabas gives him responsibility in Antioch. And we Uh, Acts of the Apostles tells of the amazing events that happened after that, how the gospel is deliberately preached to the Gentiles. And in fact, it was in Antioch that the term Christians first began to be used, a nickname meaning Christ people. What's more, it was the teachers in Antioch, prompted by the Holy Spirit, that sent Barnabas and Paul on their first missionary journey. Can you see how things are unfolding? All from that encouragement. And that mission developed. Yes, there was opposition that they faced later on, but they were never promised an easy time, but they were encouraged to engage, just as Peter was encouraged to follow, even though difficulty might lie ahead. So Barnabas teaches and models the spiritual gift of encouragement, how with love and sensitivity and honesty, we can appreciate and nurture the good in other people. My wife Frances once described encouragement as the warm sun on a flower bud that helps it to blossom. Just think of all the buds that could be opening and blossoming with a bit of encouragement. And by that, I don't mean empty praise or flattery. It isn't glib, insincere statements or a smarmy charm. It's not taking people for granted, but real deep encouragement and expression of real appreciation and a loving interest in that person. It may be just simply coming alongside another person, lifting their spirit, enabling them to flower supporting them, perhaps confirming or clarifying their vision and conviction, or speaking the truth in love to them, being open 
to listen to them. Sometimes it's those two little words, thank you or well done. Thank you or well done. I've been away for three days this week, uh, attending a Methodist uh, connectional training event uh, to uh, help me to supervise other Methodist ministers. And every minister in time is going to be formally supervised in a new way. And some ministers have seen this quite negatively, feeling that they'll be criticised through the supervision. I think it's something of our culture, isn't it, that we think we're going to be criticised. But actually, I found it a wonderful experience because we were supervised as a learning experience. It was life-giving. Yes, there's accountability and safeguarding, but it was a way of as we call it, watching over one another in love. Ensuring that we're not alone, that we're listened to, supported, and engaged with in a positive way. And I found it a real blessing. I've come back really enthusiastic about it. For the Christian, encouragement is done for the Lord's sake. And it's good for us, and it's good for those that we encourage as well. I'd like you to think for a moment of somebody who's encouraged you in the past. It could be somebody in the church, it could be somebody at home, it could be when you were smaller. What did it mean to receive that encouragement? What was that encouragement like? Was it just for a moment and then gone, or was it an ongoing encouragement? Often, We're encouraged by people. It doesn't have to be by uh, ministers or deacons. We're all ministers. (laughs) Methodists believe in the priesthood of all believers. We should all be in this business of encouraging each other, especially within the church. Someone once said the church should be a community of encouragement. I love that idea, a community of encouragement. But sadly, that's not always the case. Now just think of times when you've been in the church where the church has actually been a critical or negative place. A place where you've not been heard or where people have disagreed with you but in a crushing way rather than accepting our differences. I think I may have told this story once before. can't remember where, but I'm going to tell it again. I was on a, a Cliff College mission once to Marazine, and Francis and I went to a little chapel to lead a service. And we were with a young lady who was preaching for the first time. She had spent hours preparing, praying about what she was going to preach about, refining her sermon. It was a big thing for her. And the sermon was too long, probably like this one. But it was very powerful, And it was from the heart. She gave everything. And I must admit, I found it really moving. Probably seeing all that she put into it. And as she said the blessing, she walked back to the church. The team went to stand with her to greet the congregation as they leave. And the first person that came up to her said, bit long-winded for my liking. She smiled. And then she walked away and she burst into tears. She was crushed by that first unthinking comment 
There was some truth in what he had to say. But there was no recognition that this person had put their heart into serving the Lord. That had wanted to bring a message. Yes, she was on a journey. She was a new preacher. But how that first comment could have been so different. Thank you for your ministry this morning. I really appreciated it. Just one thing. If you cut it down, it would have been even better. But it was great. Because the message was good. Comments can be destructive or they can be creative. Yes, we must be honest, but we can be wise in the way that we act and speak. How often have you encouraged a local preacher? How often have you said to the organist or director of music afterwards, thank you for today? To the church office staff or JC Live or YPF teachers or the flower arrangers, I could go on. Sorry if I've not mentioned you, but you know what I mean. Encourage those who do a ministry in the church. And not just within the church, but outside in your place of work, among your friends, among those at home that we can so easily take for granted. Thank you for cooking the meal today. I really appreciated it. Could there be a St. Paul or a St. Pauline in your sphere of influence who could be set free to serve in some way and do wonderful things because of your belief in them? Your wise, supportive counsel, your honest encouragement. Remember that thoughtful comment that can go such a long way. The late George Madison Adams, a U.S. representative from Kentucky, once said these words, encouragement is oxygen to the soul. There's a danger we leave the encouragement to others. Jesus was life-giving in his words, but also in his actions. And he showed it by giving everything upon the cross. As we take bread and wine, he gave everything that you may receive life. Reinstate you, no matter what your past, to come to him in honesty. He is life-giving. But sometimes, let's be honest, we can be soul-destroying. Ask yourself, Have you been denying your Lord, not with your words, but with your actions? By failing to encourage people. Failing to release the gifts in other people. Failing to watch over one another in love. Remember those three balloons that I mentioned earlier. There'll continue to be a lot of deflated people around. Whose lives and souls are starved of oxygen who are not rising to their potential in Christ. The question is, do we need to change so we're not letting ourselves down, our mother church down, but most of all denying our gracious God by letting our Lord down. Amen.